0: Welcome to another episode of Three Wise DMs, the podcast for three Dungeon Masters. We've been doing this for way too long. Talk about all the things we do to try to make our games as good as they can be. I'm Thorne, and I'm joined by... Tony. I see trees of green, red roses too. I see
1: them bloom for me and you. And I think to myself, what a wonderful
0: world. That's an interesting song to apply to Dark Sun, which we'll be talking about a little bit today. <laughs> it's makes me wider. think of Toy
1: Story. It's wider. It's wider. It's just settings.
0: <laughs> and that is but first,
1: that, is that, first. Was, that was the Joey Ramone version of What a Wonderful World from his posthumous solo record, Don't Worry About Me
0: which is a great record. Ah, sounds cool. So what a wonderful world from a dead rocker. Yes. Awesome. Awesome. And that is of course, DM Dave, our rock and roll DM. Once again, showing off the golden pipes. Uh, An ability with voices and songs that help bring his game to life. Now, today, the reason What a Wonderful World is such a wonderful uh, lead-in to today's episode is because we are talking about a listener question. And the question is all about why we set our games in different campaign worlds. So this comes to us from Scott Templar of Tier. And what Scott asked here is, I've been thinking a lot about Dark Sun recently, pondering having my group's next campaign set upon the quote-unquote burnt world of Athos. But I'm worried, and the question is, why? Not why am I worried, but why do I want to set my game there? Is there just the aesthetic of the desert world, the lack of metal? Is there some kind of mechanic that playing in Dark Sun gives me that I am hoping to use? I could quite easily just make a homebrew setting with all the aspects of Dark Sun that I want to use, but there is the allure of it being set in Dark Sun. But if I don't want to focus on, for example, the survival mechanics and resource management, am I still even playing Dark Sun? So my question to you is this. What are the benefits and problems that come with using an established setting over a custom one? And how much can you homebrew within an established setting before it no longer represents that setting? Love the podcast from Scott at Templar of Tear. So guys, what do you think? You know, this is this is a really good question. We've talked a lot about why we've chosen certain box sets and things like that, but we haven't really talked about why we choose different worlds to play in and the pros and cons of building your own versus using a book world. What do you think? Why do you go one way or the other with your campaigns?
1: If we could, before we really get into the meat and potatoes of this though, I, I would like to point out to Scott Templar of tier that he did put the tithe and the toll required at the very end of the email <laughs> love the podcast he did not begin the email so we're still going to cover the question i just want the listeners to know that we're aware okay we see it
0: Tough right. <laughs> to it is true we do see it and we always uh, we always appreciate hearing that you all love the podcast and that's how it's helping helping you uh yeah dm better and we'd also love to hear how it's helping you dm better so we can give you better content moving forward from here so but yeah so to the question you know, what what do you get out of a setting? What do you get out of a box setting versus doing it yourself? Well, you have two aspects there,
2: really. Uh, you've got, if you're doing a box setting, it's the allure of something new. Then you're like, hey, you guys want to try this? This is fun, and I don't have to do all the legwork, and I'm going to draw from this existing material versus something that is more established that odds are you have played in before. Again, I've said this before. Previous podcasts, if we said let's play in Greyhawk, I'm like I got you. I could walk you all around Greyhawk, and that's no problem. I don't need to crack a book. I'll tell you who the mayor is. I'll tell you where to get a beer. I could be your tour guide. It's no problem. <laughs> I think a problem may come into play with players' expectations in a very established world, especially if you get to homebrew things.
1: Hmm. hmm. Yeah, Tone. I uh, I think that was a great example and we've said it before because Thorne has brought up this example especially when we played through curse of strad some of these things like something like a dark sun or Ravenloft or anything like that it has such an allure and such a tradition tradition and such a fan base and like a, oh i want to see what the big hubbub is about So let's go play in that and see what 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 the deal is. You know, why is everyone always talking about Greyhawk or Dark Sun or Ravenlock or whatever campaign setting it might be?
0: Yeah. Yeah. I mean, for me and, you know, even though I improv a lot and I do run a lot of my own worlds, um, it still helps. Like you still get excited for certain new worlds that are playing with neat ideas. (laughs) And in fact, actually, back in the day when Dark Sun first came out, I grabbed that. I grabbed that box set, and I ran several games in Dark Sun. They didn't go super far, but it was cool. And it wasn't cool because of slavery. It's it's cool because <laughs> you, you, it, that's the one thing you got to worry about in Dark Sun. It is. It does have a somewhat insensitive. Uh, there's some insensitivity. You could say that. You know, yeah. It would need to be updated a little bit if they were going to bring it back. But having said that, like I did love the idea of having these basically a post-apocalyptic D and D world which is essentially what dark sun is and at the time at least and even now it's the most post-apocalyptic uh, dnd world i've seen nothing other some other things i play with like you know like i know forgotten realms is now like kind of post the spell playing and stuff like that but dark sun isn't like oh magic doesn't work dark sun is like the world is dying it's 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 mad max dnd it really is you know who broke the world the giant dragon defiler wizard that you may have to fight. It will suck the life out of you to kill your friend in like a heartbeat. So like, it's, it's just this super dangerous post-apocalyptic world that is really cool. And I like playing with that idea, even if I'm going to add live my own campaign. And I know for me, there's other, other settings have done that too. Like I have the Eberron book. We haven't played it yet, but I'm very interested right. in getting into Eberron. There's some really cool stuff in there. Uh, it's a little more high magic, a little more magic punky, than I would normally do in a game, but I think it looks neat, and I want to give it a try. There's also a Kickstarter one that I picked up, uh, Trudvang, that is a, a Norse mythology setting. I love Norse mythology. Uh, it's, it's kind of Norse, Celtic, Northern European mythological kind of setting. Not specifically... You know, using those gods, but with that kind of theme, if anyone here has ever, ever went to Disney World Epcot Center and rode the, um, uh, and and rode the, the ride in Sweden, uh, the Maelstrom, you know, it's kind of got that vibe that, you know, you are not the first to come this way, nor shall you be the last. And then you get cast out. Um, now it's a frozen ride. Breaks my heart. (laughs) (laughs) But that, you know, for me, it's like you get a setting and it's just there's just a good idea in there you want to play with and you want to see what happens when you start setting adventures there and put the party there and see what they do, you know, because like Dark Sun specifically was, you know, you generally started off as a slave captured somewhere and then something happens and you get a chance to escape. But you've got like no weapons. So they're really trying to put stuff together on the fly in a way that is not like any other D&D setting you have right now. You're talking bone weapons that break on a one or a two. Like, it's a lot of different ideas, and that, to me, is the appeal. Now, what do you guys think?
2: Well, if you really are into sunblock, this might be your campaign (laughs) setting. And there's a lot of very fantastical aspects to that world classically for example there's areas of the world that's damaged by magic and magic works differently there's very unique races you could play your opposition is set up like it's a very repressive world where you're not going to go somewhere like here is the good kingdom of Albion no you're not each kingdom is a sh- an equally shitty sorcerer king <laughs> and you're getting no love from anybody
0: I remember a, we, we, we did have several friends who said I would never play in Dark Sun because it's just a meat grinder.
2: Right. And this is from people who actually played Ravenloft repeatedly. So I think that's <laughs> saying something. But if we're talking about something like that versus the homebrew. So what is the difference there? Uh, yes. As Dave said, there's the allure of why, is people, why are people talking about this setting? And you're like, well, I would like to do my own material. But then that definitely represents a huge investment of time. By the DM, because you're doing the legwork. And by that, I mean all of the legwork.
1: Well, yeah. And on top of that, too, I would even make the argument. um, And this isn't for or against either. But I mean, if we're being truly honest with ourselves, we're all thieves and any homebrew setting that we are doing is based off some established setting somewhere. Whether it's an established setting in history, it's an established setting in movies, in books, in music, in whatever it might be, we're pulling from all of these things and then we're putting it together in the way we would like to see something play that's very unique. So yeah, Tony, with something like that, I haven't played through Dark Sun, so I can't speak on this specifically, but something like Ravenloft, I mean, there's a reason that that setting has gone through every single iteration of this game. Every single edition has had Ravenlaw from the very first with i6. There's a reason, it has an allure to it. That does not at all mean that I did not just take what they had with Strahd and ram it into my world. Because that's kind of what I've been playing with, with all of the games I run, they're all existing in this big world, in different areas, you know? Uh, so that's, that's where I get to play with my homebrew is the big stuff, you know, the big, the big overall global type universe things. Uh, and then I can easily put an adventure or even a, a whole campaign, 10 levels worth into, uh, you know, into this world just by itself, just, and I lock, you know, Curse of Strahd into it's over in like, you know, near Transylvania, you know, <laughs> whatever, right?
0: You know. I don't know that I would necessarily say building your own world has to be super labor intensive. I now I am improving a lot of what I do, and I and and building little pieces of the world as I as I might kind of prep a prep a session uh, does come up, and there was some initial investment because, okay, so the Woodstock Wanderers world for example that's a unique world, and I borrowed certain aspects of some things, but I can't think of anything that's quite like what we have going on in that world there you know there's some weird stuff going on in it uh it's it's it's, it's vaguely supposed to be generic D, but then it's generic D that is you know kind of has this fantastic that has these um
1: cosmic uh, horror cosmic yeah,
0: yeah yeah it's it's basically surface on the surface it looks like a classic gothic D kind of game and then you you add in the cosmic horror to kind of mix that up a little bit and make classic things,
2: horror survival yeah
0: Sometimes, sometimes, other times, you know, hey, you're just going around doing quests for the king, you yeah, know, yeah. it's it's it can be a bit of both. Um, but the there's pros and cons to each of them. Now, I think when I choose to do my own world is when I have inspiration to do my own world. And it winds up. I mean, it's not that different. Right. Because, OK, I might pick up a box set because I think there's something cool there I want to play with. Well, when I develop my own world, it's because I've got an idea bouncing around in my head I want to play with. It's a very similar idea, but it's it's that. It really all comes down to inspiration. You know, whether you're going the box set or your own world, you want to follow the thing that really sparks your passion as a DM that inspires you to run a campaign. Mm. And I think that's the biggest thing for me. Like, it's almost like because from, from from, from a point of view of running it, you've got some pros and cons. Running a box setting means you have access to all the box material you can just go get. On the other hand, can you memorize it all? Can you use it? (laughs) There are times when you find yourself trying to pour through the book, looking for something you thought was there that you think must be there that isn't there. In your own world, you can just make it up, you know. So in some ways, it can be less work and faster at the table sometimes to run your own world. So the decision is really more not about kind of like what do you get from the box set or not. Although if you're not, you know, if you really want something to fall back on, like and have it all kind of already written out, box sets are a great way to go. I think we've talked before, my very first campaign actually started with the City of Greyhawk box set, but then I just made up the world around it because it was only the city and they kind of point you to this. There's a wizard's tower to the west. There's a pit to the east. And basically once we got playing, as soon as the party left the city, I made up everything. So it was like in my own version of Greyhawk, not the Greyhawk, Greyhawk. (laughs) Sometimes sometimes it helps have the reference material. Sometimes you get lost in reference material and it helps to just play it off the top of your head. So when you
2: jump into a setting like Dark Sun, what I think the expectation there is difficulty. You're not going to go into, say, Ravenloft or Dark Sun and be like, you know what? Hey, I want to do something light. Maybe some exploration. Maybe, maybe we'll, you know, see fight some bandits. That's not Dark Sun at all. Dark Sun is for you've run a couple of campaigns with a group. And they're looking for something to really like, okay, we've completed some uh, arcs here. Mm -hmm. I want to really sink my teeth into something. I want to try a new character idea, but this time I want a real challenge. And the DM cracks their knuckles and goes, okay, I got you. Here it is, (laughs) Dark Sun.
0: I mean, in other games, you go, you fight some bandits. In Dark Sun, you fight cannibal gnomes, or cannibal halflings, or uh, cannibal...
2: More like cannibal cannibal half-giants. I mean, really, they've got half dwarves that are really half giants. You
1: and then you've got half giants. Before, it's, uh, it's just all cannibals, right? Everything well, is a not, cannibal. <laughs> no,
0: like, like actually, literally, it's not that everyone's a cannibal. Everyone's looking to exploit everything. they fine, though, because it's resource limited, just like Mad Max. In fact, it is. Think If you think of Mad Max in a fantasy kind of setting, that is not a bad way to approach Dark Sun at all, because it's the same deal. I don't have, you know, fuel. I don't have, you know, you're missing water and food instead of fuel but it's, you have to do whatever you can to get them. So people are always looking to kill you and take your stuff and take advantage of you. It's very hard to find allies. But literally, the halflings are stated, they eat people. <laughs> <laughs> that is what they do. Thrycreens also eat other player characters. You stole my point,
2: yeah. If, if yeah. If, if, the, if, the, if the giants and the uh, moles weren't, if I've pronounced that correctly. Mule.
0: I usually say mule, but yeah. Because it's a half-breed between, a, yeah, it's a non-breed, it's a non-breedable half-breed between, I believe, dwarves and knights. Yeah. Oh. And
2: and if those aren't badass enough for you, if they're not formidable enough, the actual mantis people will get you. <laughs> really. This is a but, setting where you could die trying
0: to get a hot dog. And these are all player character classes, too. You can play the cannibal halfling. <laughs> you or can the play the, 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 the... I mean, obviously, actually, Thrycreens, I think, are... I think they've been introduced now as a player character a race somewhere. So they're back in. That was cool. Also, it was the Sonic setting, which is a little bit. Some people liked Sonic. Some people didn't. Not optimally implemented in second edition, I would say. But it was the best setting. Everyone had Sonic had a psionic power in Dark Sun, which was the other thing that made it cool.
1: Tommy, yeah. I think that that was a good point you made, though. It's very much related to the tone, um, because if you're choosing that setting, you're choosing it for a reason, right? Like you said, you're not going out to fight some bandits. You're going to, you know, fight these fucking mantis people or whatever that would not be eaten by cannibal halflings. Yeah. You know, in the same way, like you can't run if you want to do a high fantasy, high magic thing, you can't run yourself into like Ravenloft or something, you know? And even though we've we've expanded past that with that campaign, I'm still keeping a lot of that that tone going just to kind of tie it into the the entirety of these character arcs in a way in this whole story, right? So like for instance, I'm looking I'm very much looking forward to what's – I don't know if it's going to be a one shot or if it's going to be a whole a whole ongoing thing, but the uh, the Noonan boys and their mom are going to be playing some D and D, and I'm God making it. You. I'm making it very lighthearted and fun. Uh, I'm going to be starting with the Candle Keep Mysteries thing, you know, because my mom is literally, she lives at the library. So I'm going to be like, okay, you're going to a library, <laughs> right? Like this is going to be, you know. Um, but I'm looking for, to tell you the truth, what I'm getting at, I'm looking forward to being able to just play a fun, fantastical, fantasy, you know, D&D type session and not have to be like, okay, it's fucking perpetually twilight and the fucking evil is is encroaching upon you and everyone is in, you know, in shitsville and this terrible dread, you know, like, it'll be nice to get out of that because the two campaigns I'm running long term are, was Curse of Strahd and Rhyme of the Frostmaiden and they're both in the fucking eternal night forever <laughs> it's like you know i'm looking forward but you can't do that like i couldn't run candle keep mysteries in the middle of curse of strad or dark sun it's not going to work it's going to make no sense in terms of of tone and texture of the of the adventure or the setting that you're trying to run the world
0: and you also get i mean adding to that tone in a setting like dark sun and a setting like ravenloft less so ravenloft but in dark sun Player characters have much more limited choices. So it's not exactly railroad y, but it's like, hey, you're going to starve, and here's a way you can get some food. Mm. You know, and you kind of have to do it, or you're going to starve. You know, it's, um, you, you're very, it's like, it's, it's, it's much more, um. It's like Tomb of
1: Annihilation on steroids.
0: A little bit, yeah. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> you need to take your opportunities to get the things you need, otherwise you're not going to make it. Yeah. is what yeah. it comes down to. You know, because, because, yeah. yeah, you get, you have. Definitely changes the t- the
1: tone of the game you're going to run, too. Yeah. yeah. Definitely.
0: So a con for a
2: setting like Dark Sun is the, well, I hope you like sand. I know it's coarse and rough because you're going to see a lot of it. And when I run a game, I like to change sceneries frequently. In fact, I look for excuses to do that. I want to take you to the mountains and the valleys and the jungle, and you can see some dinosaurs, and there's a pyramid over here, and we keep just jumping from place to place. Then we start going to different worlds when I get bored of that world. But this one, yeah, wall-to-wall sand. What's interesting, maybe you're going to find a cave. Maybe you're under the sand. I mean, you're, you're the, all going to uh,
1: Anakin, but I hate sand. It's gritty it's, and it's,
2: it's everywhere. You're going to be doing town modules. I mean, there are mountains
0: there. Everything's arid, but there are mountains and there are kind of foresty, jungly settings around oasises. So, for instance, like the and that's like where you have a lot of the cannibal halflings, actually. So there huh. are there is some on my map. Yeah. And well, and then on, well, on top of that, there's the one of the big differences in Dark Sun, if you want to like kind of have different places, the cities versus the wildernesses are very different. You can say that in any game, but in Dark Sun, it's even more so because if you're out in the wilderness, you are starving and barely able to survive. If you're in a city, well, you might be enslaved. You have to deal with these political power players who are totally deadly and have no value, take, you know carry no value of human life. So it's like, there's, there are like, there's different things you can do. You, you, you're not going to go out on the ocean, but parts of the desert are sand oceans. So you can still do some nautical stuff. It is very sandy, but there are, there are different biomes you can get into to change up a bit, but you're never going to go to like, you know, there's no like frozen, there's no like frozen ice caps anywhere or anything like that.
2: That Even Mars, you know of. Right. That you know uh, of.
0: But that also kind of
2: inhibits travel inherently. Because you're not going to be like, hey, you know, in Skyrim, despite the fact it's 40 below out, I'm just going to run out this door and go run to Windhelm with no side effects or repercussions whatsoever. Never going to lose a finger. It's fine. Here, yeah, you will die. You'll run out into that desert and you'll be dead. Like, you can just look at your stopwatch and like,
0: and he had a heat
2: stroke. That's it.
0: Yeah, there are definitely places you don't want to go. But at the same time, you kind of have the same travel options you would have otherwise. So, like, for instance, on the sand seas, there's boats. Yeah, you know, they're sand boats, but there's basically yeah. You know, think think Avatar. You know that when they were in the desert. Um, so you do have like you can you had that stuff you could change up. So you could always give them an airship. You could always give them some way to fly around. Um, but you aren't necessarily like if you want like water. Yeah, Athens doesn't have that.
1: <laughs> one thing I will say though too, um, uh, just in terms of one of the things I like with um established settings uh even if i'm not specifically using them as it is verbatim like for instance like we're playing in the forgotten realms you know technically speaking but it's as we've discussed our forgotten realms yeah um but i was very influ- highly influenced when i came back in and started running games a lot uh with because i was running pathfinder with the amount of information they had on Galarian, the the world that the Pathfinder world exists on, um, and I would use it on their Pathfinder Wiki uh, site, which was a treasure, treasure trove of information on everything you could possibly think of, and it was all hyperlinked, right? And for me, with established settings, not that I necessarily am just going to run it exactly as it is, I'm probably going to be changing things, but I love that Because I work well with my ideas, with prompts, with things that make me think, fodder for my brain to start going, oh, that's cool, but this is even cooler. I can do this, Uh, but at least it gives me a lot of jumping off points. And if I'm ever lost, I can fall right back into some of the established safety net, as it were, of that setting. I don't have to you know i could make these ice caps in dark sun somewhere right somehow you know i mean it's a fucking world of magic i mean you mm-hmm. know
0: whatever right um, the magic consumes life the, the, the tricky I thing mean, is the magic like is I'm the saying, reason right?
1: you can do whatever you want in a way right but i have the ability to fall back onto the lore and the history and and a lot of the established uh, quests and 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 players and and uh, people and factions in whatever this setting or world might be. And for me, that was huge. I will still, even though I'm not playing in Pathfinder, I will still go back onto Pathfinder Wiki just to see, because they'll they'll name something a certain way and I'll be like, I, that's mine now. Now now I have it, you know? <laughs> like That's just, so for me, I like established settings in that way. It's great fodder for me to start thinking about where can I take this?
0: You know, I never put together that Dave was such a tender DM
2: oh <laughs> yeah. well, just when you think Asshole. you know buddy. That's me. That's <laughs>
0: perfect. The DM the Kender DM, yeah.
2: So when you're really in an established setting like Forgotten Realms, there's another expectation, or perhaps an underlining one, where is the DM gonna really hit all the key points in Forgotten Realms? What about all the key NPCs? If I'm playing in Forgotten Realms, am I gonna run into Elminster, the symbol, Blackstaff, Dressed? um, any number of these other characters are we going to be involved with them? Is Hallister going to appear? I mean, you know, and one of the I think a really easy pitfall is when you're super low level and then you run into these incredibly auspicious NPCs and you're like, what is this person doing, bothering with me? And that becomes a continuity strain.
0: True, and you do have to talk it away sometimes. Like, why are they bothering you? Because they other. Sh- I mean, the, the fundamental premise in a lot of Forgotten Realms is Elminster's bothering you because Elminster has other things to do. Right? Yeah, that's that's kinda that, that's kind of the setup in most of those cases. Do you feel like you need to be in the world to use those characters though? Because I mean I've certainly, you guys we've talked about, I had no problem at all pulling out a version of Strahd that is entirely in my head right. for Woodstock Wanderers. Right.
2: Uh, are they I would say because they are dare I say indigenous to that uh, place, like that's their point of origin. Um, it's more likely that it would be, be assumed to encounter them there. Now, when Morton Caden popped up in Ravenloft, then, you know, then you're like, hey, what are you doing here? And then that becomes a really key focal point in the story.
1: Yeah. That was actually a very um, – that is a hot-button issue in the Curse of Strahd circles. And I actually kind of played with it too. I was like wrestling back and forth with this whole idea of Mordenkainen showing up because, uh, again, it goes back to that idea of you have this Strahd that's not even the toughest dude on the block in his own realm, you know? Because you, you know, if you give, have a nice Greater Restoration spell, you now have a CR 21 lich rolling up on you, right? So, like, and the idea that Strahd, like Mordenkainen in his in his prime rolls up into Ravenloft and is smote down the mountain by Strahd is a hard pill to swallow, you know, but what I did with it was I kind of twisted it a little bit and I have like a reasoning and, you know, some time issues and stuff, you know, to make it a little fun. Um. But again, that was for fodder that I said, I don't like this, but it gives me an idea as to what I can do uh, going forward. Speaking in that way, though, uh Thorne, I don't know, did you already have that set in a way? Or did we did you start playing in the Strahd campaign with us and you started seeing Strahd and going, that's cool, but this is how like this is like my Strahd is is this guy. Like in the same way, like did it did that give you fodder, or did you already have the idea that you wanted Strahd in that world?
0: I had already put Strahd in that world and had an adventure where the where the party met him, I believe, before we started playing Curse of Strahd.
1: Oh had, that's about right. a year before. From the from the other yeah. game, right, right, with Because
0: there's two games running in the Woodstock Wanderers world. And the um yeah, I just I just I just liked the idea. You know, well, I like Strahd as a character, but my Strahd's a little a little more mashup between Strahd and, and actually Vlad Tepes. Vlad. Yeah. Yeah. Where, where he is this power, where he is this kind of powerful military leader, um, sadistic, but also very cunning. Uh, he will keep his words. Like he's, he's, he's much more of a, I hate to say it, but he feels like he's much more of a power broker than the, than the stride that's in the actual box set. Yeah. Like, 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 like the stride in curse of Strahd is much more like, I guess much more like Dracula. Right. Ooh. Um, book Dracula. The Strahd who's in my game is much more like, you know, the 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 guy they actually called Dracula in the real world. You yeah, know. Yeah, I so, literally
1: think of him really more like like Gary Oldman's Drac, you know. Like I that's how I, you know, but for me that's like the epitome of Dracula
2: is Christopher
0: Lee over here. Gary Oldman played one hell of a Dracula. Yeah, Christopher I mean, Lee did as well.
1: Absolutely. No, for sure. I mean yeah, Bella, I get it too, but you know, I don't know. Gary Oldman's just
0: Yeah. The, the, I've I've also been brainwashed a little bit by the look of Stroud because I've seen the paintings that D and D does of Stroud and they don't yes. look like any of those people.
1: No, no. So
0: I still kind of think of him as his own vampire in the Dracula mold, his yeah. own lovesick vampire.
1: Yeah, yeah, yeah. definitely, definitely.
0: <laughs> but now I wanted, um, and actually the reason I brought Stroud in, and it's kind of was a little bit of a, a little bit of a. Uh, I did run into some of that because I brought it into a game with people who had played with Strahd a lot, like Tony was in that game as well as one of my other friends who had done the Strahds before. So when I hopped him into that world, there was a certain expectation they had that did not necessarily meet the Strahd they were meeting. Mm-hmm. You know, and, and there was a little bit of a challenge of getting them to be like, okay, no, 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 pay attention to what I'm saying, not what you remember Strahd as because I, I don't care. <laughs> yeah. He didn't do played those by <laughs> My world, my Strahd, we're doing it my way. <laughs> Um, and there was a little bit of a challenge with that uh, where, where the meeting kind of went a little funky but I feel like Strauss played much better with the Woodstock Wanderers group where he's kind of just a vague, like he's a threat and he they keep running into people who are trying to convince the the powers in the world that Stroud is their only salvation Yeah, they're, he, god- we're
1: meeting his emissaries rather than necessarily straight up meeting him except in like you know very you know yeah. cryptic ways yeah
0: i mean because basically just to just to for, for for reference for the audience listening so yeah the woodstock wanderers world like is it has this uh cosmic horror thing god Anathwa, which is actually the name of a lovecraftian creature uh an elder god an elder god um and that's there. There's kind of like a embryonic version of that inside the world, and the world is like its egg. So okay, it's been asleep for a long time. Elsa kept it asleep. A however, if you feed this thing souls, you get a lot of power. So there was a rogue Alvin, Alvin, uh, you know, uh, archmage who started feeding it and waking it up, and. And, and he's basically accelerating the apocalypse because he figures he'll get enough power to all plan it, planet and everyone else is screwed. But he kind of sees it as, well, it's going to go anyway. Strahd's there. Strahd's pitch is, let me pull your world into my world and nothing attains nothing. Nothing attains its potential in, in, in Ravenloft. So this thing will be stuck as an egg forever and you'll live in my world and, and, and that's a better outcome than this thing hatching and your entire planet being destroyed with all of you. That's kind of the, that, that, that's the tension we built in. There's two bad guys. One bad guy is offering to stop the other bad guy if you'll let him do something absolutely terrible to your world. <laughs> yeah. Very enticing, yes. Uh,
2: the, one of the uh, potential problems you could also run into is, it just... This word you kind of articulated when you're using beloved, well known NPCs in existing game worlds and you go off road. You alter them or go completely off-road. For example, you're in Forgotten Realms and you find yourself working for the Harpers and you find yourself working for Elminster and then bang Elminster's the bad guy. Den den You know, like that may be very poorly received by your
0: <laughs> True. It's, I don't it's think it's DM. I don't think I would do Elminster as a bad guy. He's too—he's too beloved.
2: I—I I mean, but you—you you know, you start doing that, you start changing the settings around, the scenery. It, it depends. It depends really on the expectations of your group. Are they looking for like classic Forgotten Realms? Are we talking like '90s Forgotten Realms, where it's focused up in Bloodstone or the spine of the world?
1: Well, Tom, that's an excellent point because that's kind of where Scott was getting at, where he was like, you know yeah absolutely so i can use an established setting i can i can keep bash in there all i want i can change things i don't like this i'm going to flip that out i want to put this in this is sits in my world whatever it might be but at some point when you have removed enough of it when does it stop being the setting and this it's just become your own world which is fine but if you're trying to uh to play in that setting if you're trying to kind of see what that setting is about you know when it, at what point does do you cross that the Maginot, as it were right <laughs> the and Magino-wise. and now yeah and now you are playing in something else right <laughs> like we ran into this um with storm kings for instance cuz i think we played about 2% of storm kings thunder a very
2: Robust. I
1: yeah. still I am still at some point. I still think I want to try to run it myself Uh and just see, like, <laughs> how different is this fucking adventure? Right. Um But uh and then like for me, like for at least the first, like, I don't know, eight, nine levels of, of Curse of Strahd, I was playing pretty close to book as close to the book as I could do without completely saying, like, I, this makes no sense. I'm not doing that you know so you had two two divergent things at what point does it does it change where it's not that setting anymore
0: you know i think that's that's always going to be a bit of a sliding scale and my f- my my most important point on that is it really doesn't matter mm. You know, no matter what you do, no matter if it's, if it's a box set or if it's or if it's your own setting or some combination of the two and or something cobbled together with different inspirations and kit bashed together, it's always going to become your setting in a way unless you go very far out of your way to stick just to the book stuff, it, which – and, and they're, they're all valid, right? I mean I don't think – I don't even think I would stop to, to, to wonder you know, should I use this setting or should I homebrew it? Or am I too far away from this setting where I I shouldn't have used the setting? Mm. They're all just resources for you to have a good time with your friends. You know, at the end of the day, like you don't, you can, we played Barovia fairly by the book because you want it. And we all want it. We we were in agreement on this. We wanted to see how does this classic module play in fifth edition. And you can do that. and, And that's, that's great. We had, we, we had a lot of fun at the same time. And other places were just kind of like the DMs making choices like Tony, Storm King, Slender, where it's, you know, okay, I want them to play this adventure, but I think I can make it better. I think we can have more fun. I can do it better this way if I make these changes to it. Uh And that's still totally valid. And I don't think you need to I don't think you need to ask yourself the question of am I changing it so much? I might as well not use it. You know, I think it's, it's really about inspiration and bringing fun things to your game group. And the the choice of how close do you stick to it, it's just a matter of what kind of game do you and your friends prefer. You know, if your friends, you know, really are they they know all the settings and they really want to play the okay, what did Bwatsi release and let's experience that you keep it to the book. If they don't care and you don't care and you think you can and and you have other ideas you want to explore, well, you go with whatever inspires you. and Just follow that. Well said. If.
2: The uh, printed material, I mean, that's also a very comprehensive of everything I've seen so far. I mean, it's really got a, so much detail, like you could paint walls with it, and then it has a weak hook. Okay, mm-hmm. DMs, it's time to get to work. If these players are not invested, drawn in, or interested about what's happening, then, you know, this is your this is your chance to... Throw out some lines, draw on their backstory, try to like, interact with the players even outside the game and figure out like what's going to make them interested in this module or this setting that you could draw them along, maybe even help them develop their backstory more than they had expected to so that this all fits into the game more logically versus I'm just out there fighting for my life, every single game, selflessly fighting these undead hordes, getting crap rewards, I am poisoned <laughs> he, cheese diseased, you know, but we're going to keep soldiering on because, because we met
0: in a tavern and <laughs>
1: <laughs> I met these guys in this bar, man, and I'm just, We've I made deal, a deal and you always
0: stick to the letter of the, the word you made when you were drunk. <laughs> yeah. Oh, <laughs> uh. I mean, in you, I mean, the the reason you departed with Storm King's Thunder, Tony, wasn't that because you felt like the lead was weak, right? Like you were like, we got good stuff here, but why would my players want to do it?
2: There was a couple of real stumbling blocks in that module, in my opinion. The first one was the, the, the hook was made of rubber. I, I don't understand how I'm sucking all you. First, again, I've articulated this before. There was no like, hey, you guys all meet up and this is how we do it. They're just like, hey, all right, there you guys all are. So I guess you guys all met or something anyway. On with the story. And that's always a mistake. I have done it in the past that will 100% set your campaign off on the wrong foot. But then later in the game, they're like, you could have the thrill of exploring. And I'm like, my players will not like this. They don't want the thrill of riding a horse for hundreds of miles around a countryside as a randomly attacked by random shit. I don't have mind of that. I think I would have liked it. I
1: don't, I don't know. I mean, it depends on what, what are we doing and what are we finding? Yeah. And yeah, who knows? Uh,
2: I mean, I got to try to space it up, but it's like, okay, well, here are the points where the really good stuff is. And here's all this filler surrounding that. You had to kind of cut your way through with this giant butter knife to get through it. There, I say it?
0: I mean, I think, you know, it's, you're not a big explorer like like when it comes to like the x's of D, like like exploration really isn't the thing you really like to do right no
2: not really and of course this all depends upon your i keep saying this this is my thing game frequency if we're playing every week and you want to go exploring you know what f it i'll hmm. go exploring fine we're playing once a month for five hours. If we're lucky in between bathroom breaks, then all right. So we're on the horse and we're there. All right, great. Now, now I'm ready to start. Like that's, that's, a that, point. That, yeah. that's my idea of exploring.
1: Yeah, that is a good, that is a good point. Yeah. The game frequency thing definitely does uh, play with it, but no Thor. That was a, that was very well said in that way in that it really doesn't matter unless you're specifically, I want to experience the classic movie. And let's see what the, how this thing plays out. And if you're doing that, then you can stick to it. But outside of that, I think that's kind of what we've all been getting at, is that we're using it as jumping off points into whatever we're doing. Whatever we're doing.
0: So when you're considering, like, whether you want to use a, a module, or what do you, whether you want to use a box world or your own world, like, what what kinds of things make you want to play in a box world? Like, 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 like what makes a good one?
2: Well... If you throw out a new idea, like there's a new box set that has a a, a setting that nobody's touched at all, I think that could be very interesting. Mm -hmm. They're like, hey, guys, has anyone run this setting before? Ever heard of this? You know, you heard of it? Okay, you heard it was good. All right. You heard so many things about it. That could be very enticing.
0: Yeah.
1: I, uh, I just, I really get pulled in a lot of times by, you know, this type of adventure, or that adventure, this, you know, whatever it might be. Um, and I'm like, I, yeah, I want to I want to play that. I want to either play in it or I want to run it. Um, and then once I started running a lot of the, the established setting stuff, I said, oh, well, I I kind of like this because it gives me all, as much as I need if I need jumping off points. But I'm not tied to it whatsoever. I can do whatever I want with it. And it's led to some really fun things. Including some of the points where they made specific, and I made this point before, they made a specific writer's choice to, with the megaliths in Curse of Strahd, to specifically not tell you what they are or what they do. They give you, in essence, a writing prompt, and that led to the whole second half of Curse of Strahd. Because, you know, that's the whole idea of the ways that we've talked about, where you open it, that opens into planar travel. That all came from them being like, we don't know what these are. It's in the game. Here it is. You know, there weren't even that many. I decided to add more into Barovia because I wanted cardinal directions. (laughs) (laughs) Because I like the idea of north, south, east, and west. You know, it made more sense, you know, in terms of ley lines or whatever, right? So that was a perfect example where I could then take that wherever I needed to go, but I could fall back if I needed to on the setting as it was. But that's a little bit different though, too, with something like Strahd, because that is something that you could literally import into any setting because it is its own domain. It's its own demi plane. So you could, you know, you could walk in there from Woodstock. You could walk in there from the Forgotten Realms. You could walk in from fucking Greyhawk. You could walk in probably from some Spelljammer world, too, if you wanted to.
0: Like, That's right. It, you, you could Shanghai any party from any yeah. world right into Raven's Loft. The, they can do about it, baby. Oh, super it's high. T- we go forward. Oh, look at that. It, exactly. that. Now you're in the world of the undead. dude. We could take the super high-intensity team for
1: our Marvel game, and all of a sudden they walk in as fucking, we're playing in Dracula. Like, it doesn't matter, because it's its own thing. So you could import something like that. That easily into something where that's a little different than an entire setting like uh, like Scott was asking about like Dark Sun.
0: Yeah, you no, know, for me like I'm not necessarily for the most part I've never really been super grabbed by like what is the adventure, um, and I don't know why that is because I think about it there are certain adventures I would like to play in Call of Cthulhu I've mostly done book adventures, mm-hmm. and and they've been they've been fun, but I've never like been like oh I want to jump into this world because it has this adventure. I am much more interested and this comes into why I came into D and D in the first place. I wanted to play, you know, I like the idea of playing make believe and playing problem solving and having characters trying to figure out how to, how to, how to survive or kill the dragon or save the princess or whatever in this medieval fantasy world. I like that. Mm. You know, I would like to spend more. Yeah, it's, 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 it's escapism. I'd like to spend more time there. So, for me, it's not about the adventure in the settings. It's about does it give me that feeling of, ooh, I want to spend time here. Uh-huh. And I want to see how other how how other players interact here and how they spend time here and and, and and what they do with it and what can I do with it. That to me is really what makes me want to wanna jump into a setting. And like, you know, Forgotten is funny because Forgotten Realms never jazzed me. Greyhawk did, but at the same time it was just based on City of Greyhawk, I think. I don't know if I've ever really played in a real Greyhawk game. Um, But Dark Sun, I saw Dark Sun, I was like, yes, give me more of that. On the other hand, I saw Spelljammer and I was like, no, I didn't want that. A little more open, I'm a little more open to it these days. But like Dark Sun grabbed me, Council of Worms grabbed me, but did not turn out to be what I was hoping for. That's the second edition setting where players got to play Dragons. Yeah. Yeah. it sounds like such a cool idea. Then you get to, okay, so what does a dragon actually do with its time? Wait. <laughs> you can't fit in many dungeons, I'll tell you that much. Um, well, fact, it's, a, game, it's a good game example is where, you have human, where you actually have human player characters and a dragon. Like, like you have both.
1: Like a sidekicks gone wild.
0: Sorta, yeah. But it's like it's like so what did your dragon show up to do? Argue with other dragons, get an occasional dragon fight? Like
1: (laughs) But yeah, I mean for for instance, like when I heard that they were going to and I've said this before, like I would have no problem just for the rest of my career just running whatever, you know, like new adventure people are like, Hey, we really wanna run fucking Whatever, Rise of (laughs) Tiamat. I'd be like, all right, yeah, cool. When you want to get together, all right, I do Rise of
0: Tiamat. I like that idea.
1: Um, but the one word, like, I said, nope, this is what's happening when they announced that they were going to release uh Dragonlance. I said, absolutely, I want to play in Dragon, I want to play in Crin, I want to do the whole thing. I look back on the old mods when they first did it with the Larry Elmore covers that they had on the modules, dude, and I'm just like, I want to go back now. And just retcon them into Five E to play them or something. Like I just look at them and go, oh man, that's probably so cool. I mean, it's probably so railroady, but it's probably awesome.
0: <laughs> you know, it's funny because actually, Dragonlance never jazzed me either. And part well, of that might never have also been. Read the books, did. right? Uh, I've never read the books. I've right. seen the movie. Oh, no, that's
1: you should not do that.
0: But actually, <laughs> to but, but but be honest with you, the whole setting, for some reason, just never clicked with me. And that's right. that's the example of what we're talking about here, right? I mean, so I was never inspired by Dragonlance, so I never picked it up, and I never had the urge to run something there. But this comes back to Scott's question, though, of, okay, so why, why run a setting? Well, clearly, Scott, you are inspired by Dark Sun. I mean, that's mm. the whole point of the question. And if you get that vibe, you know, frankly... Never ignore a muse. <laughs> mm. You know, a muse wants you to go away. You 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 take you you grab its hand and you go that way. You know, it's, so
1: she it's, might not come follow. back for a while.
0: Yeah, you, you, you <laughs> just they don't like being scorned. Never scorn a muse. Yeah, you know, she if it shows up and says, yeah, you're, you know, here's this thing that uh that you're inspired by, follow it and don't don't question it. You know, but for me, like you know, so like Dark Sun inspired me. Dragonlance didn't Forgotten Realms kind of didn't Greyhawk sort of did didn't get that much into it and then you know we get later Eberron definitely seems really cool Trudevang. you know these things these things kind of just, it's, it's just they hit something it's like you know now, that, if that time, makes so
1: that makes complete sense dude because all the things that you love in games are not Dragonlance like Dragonlance Maybe, yeah. is like that like classic high fantasy D setting it's like the it's like the penultimate setting of that next to like you know middle earth but it's more sword and sorcery-ish than middle earth ever was right and i think and that that says everything because you want things that are like old mythologies cosmic horror because you you know read a lot of love yeah, yeah. stuff like that so exactly like you're going to go to the things that inspire you so if they do why wouldn't you do that
0: yeah, history, uh, mythology, cosmic horror—these tend to be the things that inspire me. Yeah. I mean, I do like old school, like sword and saucer. I, I, I love it. I, but I'd rather play and play it more in a Conan-ish type way yes, than the, the Dragonlance kind style, of way. Yeah, exactly. Yeah, a little, yeah. a little. And I hate the word gritty, but a little more down to earth. You know, not someone's got a phenomenal cosmic power. There's two people in Dragonlance, Raceland and uh, I think what, Silvermoon, who are actually quite powerful compared to everyone else in the world. And, and it's like, eh, I'm going to come into that later. It's <laughs> not where I want to start my own. I want
2: oh, them for saying Silvermoon. Oh, i let that go. So, I know. Uh, it's
1: Goldmoon, I know. <laughs> Goldmoon, yeah. Yeah. Again, again, have it's already,
2: surf, that would have been also
1: Raceland. Raceland is very well, super powerful, but he is the exact perfect example of like the geriatric eight hit point wizard. <laughs> like that dude is dying. Like he's like worse than Roderick was at level one. <laughs> but, yeah.
2: All right. I, I never really jumped into Dark Stone either. So. No. Into what? Into Dark Sun? Well, I dabbled in Dark Sun, but not really Kryn specifically. And if Dave jumps into uh, Kryn, I mean that could yeah.
1: be. Dude, yeah. i no I the, I am uh, like I am. I'm going to fucking pre-order it. Like, I don't care. Like, it's going to happen. Because I once they said, dude, that not they were releasing an adventure, and I was like, cool, I'm down. Let's do this. Then they said, we're also releasing a strategic minis game, minis war game, board game, that completely imports between the two. I said, holy fucking shit, this is literally what I've been trying to do with my D&D game for like 10 years, and I don't know how exactly to do it. And they're going to do it for me. So they've turned go. into okay. that
2: meme with Vince McMahon where he gets to that last stage and his
1: like, eyes are glowing. Yes, <laughs> that, that's what happened, he, yes.
0: He's more of the Fry meme. Shut up and take my money.
1: <laughs> I'm, I'm all of those things, yes, exactly. exactly.
0: I didn't know you wanted to turn a game into a strategy game. I definitely would have taken that challenge. Oh, yeah,
1: I uh, I have been dying to be able to, like, have... Like, you you started to play with it a little bit when we did the, the little, like, kind of the war game thing within it, but... Yeah. The idea that there's a whole separate standalone game that you that can, will help decide what is happening in the world when you go back to the table, really, that really jazzes me. I was even thinking, because mm-hmm. uh, you guys played it with me, the Game of Thrones, the board game that yeah. I have. I was even trying to figure out a way to run a campaign in like Westeros and then utilize the game. As like when the wars are happening between the kingdoms, whatever. And then, you know, some sort of adventures are happening when you get back to the table. But I I couldn't quite uh, put those two things together. So
0: yeah, I think the problem is like for like a game like Game of Thrones, which has a lot going on. Yeah, I think you need to constrict it a little more because really, if you're just looking for something to kind of set the strategic board, that's more of a focus game. The Game of Thrones is you're looking for something that's going to be more risk like. Uh, Yeah. Or even more of a skirmish or say you want to say, say you have a world at war and you want to play out the battle in a different game, then come back and live out the aftermath of the battle in your RPG. You're going to want like a strategic game. Actually, maybe, maybe what you really want is a Scott Minis game. Yeah, right. You know, if you it's like you're like, okay, there's going to be a battle here that decides things. Scott, we got to have a minis weekend. Can you bring me some minis? We're we're going to have a tabletop war game to decide what happens in the D&D game. Absolutely. Well, that's what I
1: saw happening in Woodstock. If we were getting together, we absolutely would have had all the minis out on on the big white tables and just done a a mass battle like that. That would (laughs) have been fun as hell.
0: No, no, there definitely would have been one. I was going to have a uh, – we haven't done it yet. I mean, we still could in the future, but I thought it would be really cool to have an attack at Donoestra coming through that gap that you're guarding there where the party has to run back and actually fight a fight oh, a military. Yeah, dude, because
1: we have the model for Donoestra and then a whole MIDI is set up. Oh, dude, yeah.
0: yeah and I and I and when Scott built the model, I gave him permission to say, look, just build you – know, you you can take a strategic eye to this and build this in a way you think makes – that you would want to defend. Uh, so he so he put a I think he put a little bit of thought into that side of it, too. Yeah. Um, it looks beautiful. Anyway. We are we are we are getting far. Yeah, sorry, sorry. I mean, it, let's it, try it, to reel this back in. I think it's time for, you know, we've been talking for a while. I think it's time for some final thoughts on what makes you want to run a box campaign or your own campaign. And, you know, how do you how do you pick?
2: Well, if you're running boxed, you're probably going to gravitate towards something that you haven't tried before. And of course, that's interesting in and of itself. If it's something Uh, that you are familiar with or you're homebrewing, then you get to delve into your own creativity. But if you're doing established material, you want to be really clear on the party expectations on where they're are going to be traveling, you know, in terms of like what NPCs are going to be in, interacting with. If it's like a very established setting, like Forgotten Realms, Greyhawk, something like that, they could be like, "Hey, I've been in I've been in Forgotten Realms for you know six games and I haven't seen Elminster yet. Like he's driving around in a car." But you know that that could be something uh, it could be a stumbling block. Uh, of course, if you're playing in something like Dark Sun, Ravenloft, your difficulty should be based around frequency of play. Maybe your players who are playing, you know, for a handful of hours once a month don't want their teeth kicked in because they're dying of dehydration and they have second-degree burns from the lovely sun. And finally, as you're picking your setting, yes, you've picked your setting, and you could try to move around it to change the settings to, you know, the locations to be interesting, but you're not married to that. I mean, even Dave has us branching off to other worlds, and we were in freaking Ravenloft. I mean, that makes my case for me.
1: Oh, yeah, no, you have to move at some point. Um, but there's something to be said, as Thorne has said in the past, of wanting to see the classic movie. Everyone is talking about this movie. This is a classic. You got to see it. Oh, my God. Holy crap. You got to see it. Okay, cool. I want to go see it, and I'm going to make up my, my own mind, you know. And a lot of these classic settings are like that. Um now, it doesn't have to necessarily be like that's the only setting you're in as we just talked about with like Ravenloft, for instance you can then branch out that's a little harder in something like dark sun because it is the world but hey shit happens you know weird portals open up i mean just have tony tell you he'll open a portal and take you wherever the hell you're going for that game that's just how it's going to work on a dime um what i would say though i there's a ton of lore and history and quests and NPCs and stuff that you can utilize, like I was saying, as fodder, as jumping off points, as writing prompts to help you build your your version of this world. You know, almost like multiverse style. You know, yeah, it's like Greyhawk, but this is Greyhawk six one six. You know, that's Greyhawk eight three eight, right? <laughs> um, because the whole fact that you're bringing in your characters completely changes this world because they didn't exist in the Ari Salvatore book with Drizzt. So I'm not sure where Drizzt is now because you guys didn't exist in that one. So now what? You know. So I like that idea that it gives you some jumping off points uh, that you can jump off into and allow, just like Sessions, let one influence the other as the players interact with it, let that influence how that world changes and morphs, whether it's in the setting or not. Um... But you always have that safety net to be able to fall back on because there is a ton of information. Like I said, when I went to uh, Golarian with the Pathfinder Wiki, the level it was token level information and lore that I could just use for little little things. If I wanted to name something in my world or whatever it might be. So that's my that's my thought on established settings. I love them.
0: <laughs> <laughs> all right. And for me, uh, you know, number one thing, most important thing, and this gets overlooked a lot when we talk about the DMing, because so much of what we talk about is how can you put on a great game for your players. You know, a lot of what we talk about is very player-focused. A lot of what all the DMs talk about is very player-focused. But the most important thing to having a great game is it's something you're inspired by and and you want to do and you're gonna be excited for because your inspiration and excitement is going to translate to the adventure and it's gonna translate to the players. So when you have a setting that makes it it just gives you that feel like, ooh, I wanna be, I wanna be there. I wanna, I wanna, I wanna spend a little time there and explore that. That's when it's a great time to use a box setting to me. I mean, all the box settings I've ever opened up have been things that really kind of inspired me and just Made me want to pull a group together and spend some time in that world. So that's Mm. the the biggest deciding factor for me. And likewise, when you're talking about when is it time to create your own world, same idea. You know, I mean, I'm not going to sit down and create my own world just to have it be a flat nothing. It's because there's some idea in my head of, ooh, wouldn't it be cool if we did this? You know, wouldn't it be cool if your world was actually the shell of an egg for a great old one that might wake up at any time and destroy <laughs> everything? That's the kind of uh, that, that you know, it's it's it's, it's just that it's take it, take it, and taking a threat and running with it. So I would really recommend, like, yeah, Scott, just you are inspired by Dark Sun, take it, and run, man. You know, I, I wouldn't, I wouldn't, I wouldn't second guess that. Uh, th- so when it comes to how do you implement those settings though, you got to remember your you know, as Dave and Tony as they as Dave was saying, your game is unique. You know, your game and what happens between you and your players isn't the same as what's in the book. You can keep it close to the book if you want to, but that's only one option out of many, many, many other options. You can take it as far away as you want, build your own areas, build your own dungeons, add NPCs, make it totally different. My strad is not recognizable to... D and D players <laughs> who are <used> to <laughs> Not a recognized, It's 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 the Strahd. You know, he's Strahd in name and theme only. But you know, if you're thinking, oh, I know who Strahd is, that is not who you meet in my campaign, because it's my campaign and he's a character I'm using and I'm going to use him however I want and I'm going to try to do the thing that I think is most cool with him. Do the same thing in in with the modules with the with the with the campaigns you're using. They are going to be yours. It's not even a matter. I'm not even just saying make them yours. I'm saying accept that over the course of a campaign that is a collaborative, creative exercise between you and your players, your campaign is going to be yours. There is no other option. It's always going to be different from the book because that interaction you have with – it's not just – it's not even like you're writing a book and making it your own. You have an interaction with players and that interaction is going to create something totally unique and exciting in its own way. So even once you decide what your setting is going to be, it's going to be a boxer or a homebrew or whatever, embrace the fact that you're going to, yeah, it's going to get totally mangled up, <laughs> made totally different and totally unique to your party, because that's really where to me, some of the most fun in D and D is, you know, it's, I'm going to start and I might start with a book. I might use a book for backup. I might use a book for details, but once we get into it, I'm going to remember the choices we made. We're going to go off road. We're going to go off book whenever we need to. And I'm just going to flow with it. And that's going to become our shared world together that me and my party play in. And it's different. And arguably to me, that is one of the best parts of D&D, you know, getting out of get, getting, getting that thing that you created with your friends that is totally unique. and doesn't exist for anyone else. So embrace yes. aspirations and embrace that. Yes, yes, yes. All right, guys. Well, that was a that was a, that was a good one. Now it, it's bringing me back to all these. You know, we have a lot of games, but there's settings I want to try, and I we can't, <laughs> okay. can't quite fit and them so. in.
1: <laughs> They're yeah. always out of reach. What was that? Uh, what was that myth that it was always out of reach for him?
0: Oh, I don't know. I, uh, yeah. I don't know exactly which one that is. But like, Are we was- talking about the boulder
2: getting pushed up the hill?
1: No, not Sisyphus. Sisyphus. No, not Sisyphus. No, it was it, something was always out of reach. He could never quite get it anyway.
2: But. I feel like that was Greek mythology and and uh, Hades sentenced someone to that fate. Maybe. I mean, I mean
0: it, 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 is is it better or worse than getting your liver eaten by a giant eagle every day? I don't know. Oh, uh, yeah. Just mm-hmm. We could
2: like kick that just, around.
0: <laughs> <nightcares>. <laughs> you know, it's because I've literally got right now, I have two box sets I want to play. Three, if you count uh, Sandy Peterson's Cthulhu Mythos, which is more something I would lay into an existing campaign. Uh, Sandy Peterson, who created Call Cthulhu, yeah. he has a Cthulhu Mythos for 5e. I have that book. Oh. And there's neat stuff to put in there. Um, that actually would have come up in the campaign that broke apart. So. <laughs> um, but actually I have two box sets I want to run and one homebrew campaign I want to run. Like like campaign world. So it's always kind of like that for me. There's like two things that someone else made that I'm inspired by and one thing that's my own I'm inspired by. You know, and it's uh, I'd love to get them all going at some point when we have infinite time, which yeah. is yeah. yeah so, <laughs> you know, campaign maybe change I don't know.
1: over the years. So, we'll see.
0: <laughs> all right guys, thanks a lot for, uh, for for stopping by to talk about talk about our our favorite yeah, campaign settings. Absolutely. And Scott Templar here, thank you very much for sending in that question. As you saw, that was that inspired us and gave us a lot of great ideas to talk about. Now, if you're listening from home and you'd like us to consider your question, we love taking reader questions. You can go to 3 and enter in the what's your problem field. You can send it to us directly at an email address, 3 gmail.com. Or talk to us on Facebook, Twitter, and Instagram. We're active in all those places. And we're we really what we want to do here is help our listeners solve their problems and, and, and get some perspective on some tricky situations. So feel free to send us any questions you have. We'll do our best to work them into a show. Other than that, if you like what you're hearing, please give us a five-star rating in our podcast platform of choice. Tell your friends. You know, we, we we really appreciate all the support our listeners have given us helping us grow. And that's it for this week. We'll see you next time. On free wise DMs.